Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, and once again, we had another fascinating conversation. Yeah, we talked to Barbara Stenson, who is the president of the World Food Prize Organization. Right, Jason, I didn't know a whole lot about the World Food Prize Organization, but Barbara, it's kind of interesting when she gets into the origin of the program. I think this podcast really goes hand in glove with our previous conversation with Julie Borlaug. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Norman Borlaug is the one who started the World Food Prize organization. And, you know, it's interesting, Barbara, when she talks about her background, and we'll let her talk about it and describe it, but she has a background in conflict resolution. And you might wonder how that would apply to a topic like this, like agriculture, modern agriculture. But we don't need to describe it. We'll let Barbara describe it in her own words. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. To kick things off, would you tell us a little bit about your background, your education, and career history? Certainly. Really great to be here today. Let me say that um, my background begins uh, in, in where it's related to the World Food Prize Foundation, probably begins in college where I was studying conflicts of all types and went into a career in conflict management. And issues over agriculture have always been a subject of conflict resolution and uh, great opportunities there. So I had a 30-year career, uh, part of it at uh, my own nonprofit organization for 22 years, working on a variety of public policy and environmental issues uh, from the standpoint of a neutral third party. So I was convening and bringing together multiple stakeholders from different points of view to try to resolve really intractable problems. And uh, so following uh, on that, I got really interested in the, uh, the struggles that were emerging in the 90s and early 2000s around climate change in agriculture and convened some of the original meetings with the Department of Agriculture and uh, environmental groups and uh, an array of commodity organizations and even our uh, 2019, 2020 uh, World Food Prize laureate, Ratan Lal. So it was an opportunity to really understand early in discussions uh, where both climate impacted agriculture and was impacted by agriculture. So uh, I would say that probably the critical time in my background that led to my being interested in this position at the World Food Prize Foundation was a 10-year period when I worked in Africa on aflatoxin contamination of staple crops. And we were trying to there address the really intractable issue of aflatoxin contaminating food that was meant to feed Africa. And so we worked with 22 countries across all stakeholders, built an institution and a system to try to mitigate the impacts of aflatoxin because of course you can't completely eliminate them. So based on that, I, in, in a, an interesting time in my career where I was thinking about my next steps, I got the invitation to interview for and uh, potentially become the next president of the World Food Prize Foundation. And that was in 2019. And I assumed this role in January of 2020. That's really interesting. And, and once we get done recording here, I might ask you some questions about conflict resolution that I can use with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can give you some hints, right? <laughs> So it's applicable in every part of your life. Really. <laughs> well, I definitely feel like I'm judged during executioner sometimes at home. So yeah, right, right. In agriculture, obviously, there's all kinds of conflicts we can think about it as far as the 
you know, you mentioned climate change and, and some of the environmental groups and, and the seeming conflict with agriculture, or also sometimes the topic of GMOs or modern technology in agriculture. So it sounds like a background in conflict resolution would really set you up for a career being able to really help people in agriculture. Yes, I hope so. I mean, that's really what I've been striving to do. Uh, Certainly, Dr. Norman Borlaug founding the World Food Prize on the basis of his Nobel Prize in 1970, um, founded us in 1986. That basis uh, was in the need to advance technology and uh, seed systems especially, but advance agriculture in order to feed the world. And that is full of and fraught with challenges uh, to do that in a way that's sustainable, environmentally sound, et cetera. And so, so many years later, 50 years later, of course, uh, we still have the challenges of feeding the hungry and we still have uh, probably even more challenges, certainly even more challenges in the environmental sustainability, equitability, access to food, all those areas that require us to resolve even more conflicts in order to continue advancing. Tell us, if you don't mind, about the World Food Prize and how that got started. So the World Food Prize was created in 1986 by the father of the Green Revolution, Dr. Norman Borlaug. He envisioned that there should be a prize to honor those who have really made the most significant and measurable uh, contributions to improving the world's food supply. And he went back to the Nobel Prize Committee Uh, after his award in 1970 and had asked them, would you create a world, a prize for agriculture each year? And they said, no. So it took a a few years, but eventually uh, they established the World Food Prize in 1986 to really recognize people for their personal accomplishments and um, and as a means to uh, establish and Uh, set out to the world these role models of uh, uh, incredibly accomplished uh, researchers and uh, scientists and and technology experts in order to inspire others. It's interesting to me that the Nobel Prize Committee would not be interested in establishing a a prize for agriculture. At at that time, did they give any reasons for that? Or do do you know some of the reasoning behind that? You know, we don't have historical documentation. Uh, We do have here at the World Food Prize Hall of Laureates in downtown Des Moines, an incredible building, which is really a library and an archive of the entire history of the organization, but really also of food and agriculture. Over many centuries, we try to collect a lot of useful information and there are no real records of that conversation, but it is, it was often repeated by him uh, and then uh, strongly stated in the founding documents in 1990. But we don't know exactly. We, we know he went back. He went back because laureates are allowed, you know, they're invited back for um, the next Nobel Prize ceremonies. And so he was actually there and made that request in person. So I wish we had quotes from the, uh, from the discussions. Interesting. Yeah, wouldn't you like to be a fly on a wall? It's, it's, it's funny how some of those things get lost to history sometimes. That, I know, 50 years ago, and we can't recover it. Yeah. Tell us about the mission of the World Food Prize Foundation. 
So our mission is to, we state it as, elevate innovations and inspire action to sustainably increase the quality, quantity, and availability of food for all. And that's a succinct statement that really captures three major pillars of our work. And one of them is this prize that we award every year to an exceptional individual advancing uh, human development through quality, quantity, and availability of food in the world. So that's one pillar, and I can tell you about the others if you'd like. Yes. The second pillar of the World Food Prize Foundation is the International Borlaug Dialogue. Every year we convene leaders in all from all sectors and all walks of life that are advancing food and food security around the globe. And usually here in Des Moines, 1,200 uh, or so individuals, including students and young professionals who are uh, developing their careers in food and agriculture. And we convene them for discussions and deliberations on some of the critical issues that need to be addressed at this time, uh, to really trying to uh, add to the dialogue, add to the deliberations and decision-making. <clears throat> So that's the second pillar. And then the third I referenced uh, with these young people who attend, we host a series of youth institutes uh, culminating in the Global Youth Institute and then ongoing into internships, et cetera. We host a series of activities for young people in high school and young professionals to develop uh, a real understanding of these global challenges. And they do so through original research and uh, consideration of issues in a particular country. And they present their results to our experts in roundtable discussions. And I would say through the writing and the roundtable institutes, some 25 to 27 we conduct every year, we probably touch 10,000 students every year. So we have quite a collection of alumni who are part of our institutes have gone on to perhaps do internships and on into incredible careers throughout the food and agriculture system now. Well, that's, that's an amazing number of students. Is there some way that, you know, if someone is interested in getting involved, that someone could get involved and help out with some of these things or, you know, volunteer or some be involved on a, you know, at their local level? So we have so many opportunities to involve folks in uh, particularly our dialogue and our youth programs. For the youth programs, we have experts that uh, attend and work with us every year in these youth institutes. So if you can imagine 60 students at 25 different uh, institutes gathering around, I mean, it, sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 100, sometimes it's 12, but a, a large number of students in small round tables, and we're trying to give them the opportunity to interact with experts. So there might be two experts for every eight kids, every uh, uh, eight students. and that's a lot of experts. So we have a huge collection of individuals who every year come in with their own interests and expertise to mentor students through the roundtable. So that's a definite avenue. Uh, we have a reserve core of folks really from all walks of life and uh, multi-generational that come here to Des Moines and support the dialogue and the award ceremony that takes place every year in October around World Food Day, which is October 16th, somewhere around that time. We bring together for three to five days these 1,200 people, and we have a, a very large reserve corps that uh, attend and assist us in that time, volunteers. So that's another way to get involved. 
And uh, one terrific way to feel like you're making a contribution is to nominate a World Food Prize uh, laureate, nominate someone to become a laureate, or nominate someone for the Borlaug Field Award, which is a separate award for young professionals under 40. So every year we receive many nominations for these field researchers, uh, folks that are really making a difference on the ground in, in many different disciplines. And we select a Borlaug Field Award winner for a $10,000 award every year. So nominations for that are opening May 15th and um, the nominations for the 2022 World Foods Prize Laureate is open now until May 1st. So someone could come to your website and find out more about those efforts? About all of those, uh, www.worldfoodprize.org forward slash awards for those two awards and to do the nominations uh, slash youth for all the youth programs that I mentioned. And you'll see even more of them listed there. <laughs> and, uh, and then events uh, is where you'd find the International Borlaug Dialogue, as well as our digital dialogues, which we've now developed under COVID, trying to extend our reach and really provide more engagement opportunities year round rather than just in October. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes too, so that people can easily find you. Great. There's other events that we host. Um, the Iowa Hunger Summit takes place every year and uh, we draw on resources and uh, individuals from all across the state of Iowa in a bipartisan effort to exchange information, uh, focus on local community issues around access to nutrition and he uh, healthy food. And so for example, this last year, we really focused a lot on racial justice issues with regard to the food system here in Iowa and community response with food banks, et cetera. So that's an annual event that also goes on in October. It sounds like your organization and yourself are extremely busy. <laughs> yes, yes. We're a small operation, but we try to do as much as we can. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about past World Food Prize laureates? Yes. Yeah, so we have an amazing cadre of World Food Prize laureates. We have 50 so far, probably more than half of them are alive and active. Not all are still with us. Uh, we keep a wonderful historic record on all of them. You can find historical information on each and every one, including their uh, laureate announcement and the ceremony for them on our website under worldfoodprize.org laureates. So it's a remarkable array of individuals from, I think, 15 countries all around the world, uh, plant scientists, uh, agronomists, people working in food science, uh, an array of uh, nutrition experts in so many fields. We have seven or eight different fields that we award. And so every year we announce a new laureate. And this year in May, we will offer the laureate in a virtual announcement to the world, uh, probably in early May. We will certainly be looking forward to that announcement coming up shortly here. Absolutely. And we'll definitely post all these links to our show notes as well. Okay. Barbara, I had a question for you. I'm kind of curious from, so we're a year into the pandemic now, over a year, I guess, technically, uh, at the time of this recording. I was curious, from your vantage point, how has the pandemic affected food insecurity around the globe? Well, it's different in every region, but its impact is dramatic in every part of the world, including in the US and every state in this country. 
And I would say really what we know now is there, and we already knew there were so many cracks in the food system around the world, but COVID has magnified those. The impact on food security makes it uh, really important to think about uh, all of food and agriculture production and provision as a system. So that's what you see taking place now is uh, mobilization of all resources towards addressing food systems. And really every aspect of the food system is interconnected and the pandemic has uh, revealed just how delicate these relationships really can be. So um, there, and what we really see is that uh, supply chains are interrupted, market access is limited. Um, there are disproportionate impacts on people that are already marginalized around the world and their livelihoods are now jeopardized, you know, by the lockdown, social distancing, et cetera. So, uh, you know, whether you're talking to local food banks who saw an uptick in uh, demand for their resources by 30% in the year and people coming in that have never had never been food insecure, hungry in any way and, and needing those support that support in those services or in India where markets were closed and places where famine is breaking out, et cetera, because displaced populations can't get access to food. It's just really striking how, how much the impact from the pandemic has set us back to where, where we were you know, five or 10 years ago in terms of the number, number of hungry. It's expected to double uh, this year by some measures. It's interesting that you mentioned that, how the pandemic has really not necessarily specifically caused problems, but really exacerbated the problems or made evident the problems that we have, because you can correct me on this. Uh, definitely, you probably have better d data than I have, but I've read that there's plenty of food being produced to feed everyone in the world currently. It's more a matter of getting it to them and getting it to where it needs to be. Is that correct? Or is that accurate? That's, I think, what I hear all the time. And I'm not an expert, but I try to listen to the experts. And that's exactly the case. So we knew before that there, there's there been enough food to feed the world for quite some time. We also know that 30 percent, uh, up to 40 percent of our food is wasted every, every single year, every day. And at the early part of the supply chain is where uh, we lose food in developing countries and at the consumer end in restaurants and at home is where we lose food uh, in more developed countries. And so food loss and food waste uh, has been a huge issue. And that is what that became really uh, apparent as one of the reasons why we were not feeding the world. And uh, you saw a lot of mobilization, therefore, during the pandemic of trying to move that food that would have gone to restaurants and would have gone to schools out to uh, populations so that uh, people were not uh, struggling so much to feed themselves every day and feed their families. And I guess I, you know, I'd also say that there's real consideration of revamping the entire system uh, so that food access and distribution is so much stronger in and uh, specialized to local needs because we know in really in almost every country, there's enough food, enough access to food if the channels are improved. I'm sure we'll never get to a place where everything is 100% smooth, but it, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement and things to work on, it sounds like.
It really is. And uh, this year, this year, I think, <laughs> I think that the experts hope and, the, you know, the folks that we talk to are laureates and, and other leadership, they're really hoping 2021 can be this pivotal year that where we can say, this is the year that the commitment to ending hunger by 2013 and meeting that sustainable development goal that's been set zero hunger by 2030, which is goal number two, that that goal uh, really became a point of focus within reach, if you will, uh, 2021, because we know we cannot go back to where to the way we were doing things before the pandemic. We have to build forward better, as our laureate said in a, a letter they wrote to the Biden administration, uh, 24 of them on February 23rd, build forward better and understand where the cracks are in the system and improve going forward uh, so that, in fact, uh, we can look back in, in 2030 with zero hunger and say, it took us nine years, but we got there. Barbara, we've mentioned how there's an abundant food supply right now. And a big piece of that abundant food supply is modern technology, whether it is crop protection products or genetically modified organisms or coming up with gene editing and things like that. Modern technology has really increased the food supply for all. But sometimes there are public demands, especially in the U.S. and maybe in other developed countries for products like organic, like non-GMO. And sometimes those demands of the consumers are somewhat in conflict with maintaining a reliable and abundant food supply. And with your uh, background in conflict management, this is probably right in your wheelhouse. How do we balance those desires of consumers while continuing to provide this abundant food supply? That's a great question. Here at the World Food Prize Foundation, we really try to respect all points of view and bring to the table the controversial issues for discussion, illumination, and to advance so people can move forward in multiple directions. And I, in that vein, I think our position is, if we have one, is that all technologies, all methods and modes of delivery, of development and delivery of food should be on the table in order to eliminate hunger. That's going to have to happen. A single strategy, whether it's production agriculture or organic food, is not going to solve the problem and eliminate uh, hunger by 2030 or feed 10 billion people by 2050, which is probably going to happen. And we're going to need to be able to do that. So the question is not, can we feed 20, uh, 10, 10 billion people in 2050? It's how are we going to do it? Well, the how really requires that we develop all avenues and all technologies and, and really be able to satisfy multiple needs and interests. Uh, culturally appropriate food and locally grown food has an absolute place. Mass produced uh, food and industrial agriculture has a place for the goals that we're trying to meet. So I, I think public demands around food production are gonna go in, in that direction and hopefully you know, include all components. Yeah, I think, I think President, I absolutely agree. And I, I possibly framed up the question in not the best way, but we recently talked to a farmer that is an organic farmer as well as conventional farmer and kind of balances the two in his operation. And, and you know, there's plenty of farmers that do that on their own operations. And I think sometimes, you know, you get into the, the consumer maybe in the store and they kind of hear a really strong argument from one side or the other. But really, a balanced approach is what we need, where all, as you said, all the options are on the table. 
Yes, balanced and inclusive. Absolutely. It's obvious that your organization is very forward-looking. Your past work history, you're a very forward-looking person. I'm curious, what are you most excited about um, when you consider the future of agriculture? Uh, do you consider the future from an optimistic perspective or are you pessimistic and what most excites you? Well, I'm an optimistic person by nature, but I am really optimistic about the future with regard to food and agriculture for a couple of reasons. Uh, I really think that collective action has taken hold. People understand the importance of public-private partnerships moving forward together to solve particular problems, and you see that emerging around the world. The UN Food Systems Summit takes place this year. They're generating hundreds of ideas for mobilizing food and, uh, and improving nutrition and improving access all across the world. And those ideas are gonna be turned into action plans and get funded country by country by country. So that gives me a lot of optimism because all of this is kind of converging this year in 2021. So that's one reason I'm, I'm optimistic. And I see private sector companies on board and governments are on board and NGOs uh, recognize uh, the non-governmental organizations and, and civil society organizations uh, recognize this, all of these critical issues and people are mobilizing together. So that's one reason for optimism. But I'll tell you my main uh, most heartfelt reason for optimism is uh, the youth that are moving into these fields and the next generation of our farmers and entrepreneurs. So we give an award every year to the Borlaug Field Award winners who are the under 40 um, scientists and researchers and uh, field experts uh, working in, in these areas. And so that's great, you know, so these are the leaders that are uh, the next generation of leaders. But underneath those, the younger generation in high school and getting their college education now, these people are amazing. They're coming in so informed. They're studying policy, food policy, and agronomy. They're interested in climate science alongside agricultural development. They're getting multiple degrees. They're getting field experience and internships ex and other kinds of experience. They're studying sustainable agriculture uh, where they're looking at high productivity and gene editing technology to address nutrition needs and improve uh, water quality, pesticide management, and uh, all of these things at the same time to advance sustainable agriculture. So I think this next generation are going to be in powerful positions and have done so much work in the next 10 years. I think that's my main reason for optimism. Yeah, that is super exciting. And Press and I have discussed this in the past. I think the University of Illinois has now a degree program where they offer like a dual degree in information technology and crop science. And in the past, oftentimes you haven't had people with that kind of dual knowledge. And I agree, it's, it's very exciting to see where things are going in the future, that you get someone with that's an IT expert that also understands agriculture, whereas in the past you've had to choose one or the other. Exactly. It's, it's tremendous. And the advancements in digital agriculture are going to change the landscape in every country around the world. It's being mobilized differently all over the world and for different purposes. But you can't turn a corner without talking about the impacts of information technology and the digital age in uh, improvements in agriculture. Well, Barbara, this has been a great conversation. We really enjoyed talking to you. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today. I know it's super busy. You have the laureate announcement coming up. You have a lot going on. 
If anyone that's listening has interest in learning more about your organization or interacting with you or someone else who can answer some questions they may have, I know you've referenced your website a couple of times, but maybe we'll go ahead and mention that again and any other way that people can interact with you. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm so pleased that this type of podcast is featured and I look forward to promoting it. We are, World Food Prize is at www.worldfoodprize.org. And you can go onto our homepage and uh, register for our newsletter, which is really just bulletins that we send on a variety of events that go on around the year. And the next one will be in early May, as I said, we'll announce our 2021 laureate. We're so excited. We'll also then conduct a discussion, a digital dialogue with the new laureate and another uh, moderator. And we're really looking forward to that. And we're hoping in October that we're going to be able to feature not only our full virtual online events, but perhaps a small in-person awards ceremony, which is a, a highlight of our year and for many here in Des Moines. So thank you so much for conducting this uh, podcast and for your time today. And I'm really looking forward to being part of this whole series. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.